This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm, I'm Trent Reynolds. I run the Violent World of Parker, a website devoted to uh, the Parker books by Donald Westlake, uh, other Westlake novels, and crime fiction in general. And I'm Paul Westlake. I'm Donald Westlake's youngest son, and I run the website, uh, the official website for Donald Westlake, the DonaldWestlake.com. Thank you, guys. Uh, we're going to talk about The Comedy is Finished by Donald D. Westlake, the latest and last, perhaps, novel by Donald Westlake. Um, the last I, to be published, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to see something more. Just because after memory, I thought, oh, there's not going to be any more. And then I was wrong. And every time I'm, I think I'm right that, and I'm wrong, then I think then I'm always going to be wrong. <laughs> well, let's hope you are on this case, because yeah. uh, it's always interesting when stuff like that comes along. It is. It is very interesting, because uh, I think the way it worked was Memories published. It did really well, and it was published as the last book. And then was it uh, – it wasn't Charles Ardai who found it. Who, who found it? Was, it? Um, it was Max Allen Collins. Right. Max Allen Collins said, oh, no, that's not the last one. I, I have one here or something Which like that. Which I, I – apparently uh, Don had sent it to him at some point, and I and – I spoke with Abby, uh, his his wife, about that recently, and she was somewhat mystified also as to why he had sent the full manuscript to Max. Huh. Um, well, maybe maybe Max Allen Collins wrote it in the style of Westlake, and no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so, because it's very Westlakean. Yeah, right? no, it's, it, it's, it'd be a perfect... Uh, Perfect. And why would he do that anyways? <laughs> well, Max, I think, has a propensity for writing in other people's styles, right? But I don't think Westlake was one of them. So, And not to mention he wouldn't get paid for it, right? <laughs> um, when he writes uh, you know, uh, with Mickey Spillane, you know, they share the author credit and they both get paid. Right. Um, they're prof- and knowing writers, we know that that is a priority for them. Getting paid is, is uh, yeah. You know, when you're a professional writing, you got paid for the last year last 25 books you want to get paid for the next 25 books that's for sure so uh yeah this this uh it says i think on the hard case crime website that it was set in 1977 or it's 1977 um that seems about right for the setting i don't think it actually says anywhere in the text when it is i agree i don't think he mentions the actual date but i think it's clearly sometime in the mid to late 70s it's after Ford uh, has been uh, president, but I I don't think we get a mention of uh, Carter. So it's uh, in that late '70s era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, yeah, and it's it, it's really only it has to take place in a very brief window of time. It's it, it's post Watergate, but before Reagan for certain. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's uh, Reagan's alluded to, isn't he, in the opening? Yeah. Uh, uh, he he makes a joke, but he refers to Reagan as governor. Yeah. I I said I fired an actor. He wasn't a very good actor, and I made a mistake, and therefore, uh, and then he became governor. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I was actually re-listening to the beginning, um, after finishing it, and uh, I I like to do that just because uh, I sort of forget forget some of the little bits that are in there and one of the things that struck me was that uh honeydew is mentioned right at the beginning 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's when the when her name comes back up, it's it, for me, it was instant recognition. It's like, oh, here we go. I wasn't sure yeah. what it was going to lead to at that moment, but it definitely was a trigger. Yeah, it just uh, I had forgotten that you know I know that, that there was like several of the women who he had gone USO touring with, uh, as uh, you know mentioned, but she was the most prominent one. I, I guess her name isn't really a name, or if it is her name, it's a, it's just a more distinctive one, and it's like oh my god, it's right there, and he even mentions her rock collection, mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, Pebble collection or whatever it is, and and remembers her fondly and and so when you you know you get to the later chapters and you're uh what's genuine and what's not about his uh <laughs> you know is he under duress uh yeah he did think of her fondly and he did think of the last time he had seen her and it's uh you know she must be 65 now right right and what <clears throat> what's interesting about this is is uh but it, he's so clearly modeled on Bob Hope. Yeah. And and Bob Hope is, you know, especially, you know, in 2012, after he's passed, is almost revered, uh, you know, for his work with the uh, USO and everything else, charity golf tournaments, all those things. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, it was really strange to me, like, Bob Hope's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he was a jerk. He was a jerk in his personal I mean, life. I, I don't know that he ever meant ill, but he just didn't care about other people. It was, you know, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. Uh, well, you know, one of the things I found disconcerting about, because I, you know, I don't do a lot of listening to audiobooks, so this was kind of a new experience for me. And I, one of the things, there were two sides to this that I that I got out of it. One, I enjoy listening to books this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I've come from a narrative background, so I enjoy audio narrative. I just never, you know, it made that large, long an investment in listening to an entire book. Um, but one of the, the other things that struck me was that it's kind of important how you decide yourself as the, as the voiceover artist, as the actor to portray certain characters. And I think this guy did a, a, a Peter, what's his name again? Burkrot, I think. Burkrot, right. Yeah. Um, I thought he was. I thought his his you know his basic delivery, his diction, all that stuff was fairly good. I thought I thought he did a decent job with most of the characters, but Ku was the one I think he failed on the most <clears throat> because he didn't sound like Bob Hope. That's <clears throat> he played him like Bob Hope as Red Skelton. I think he needed to play him like Bob Hope as Gene Kelly. Hmm. Because um, he forgot. I think he was thinking of the Bob Hope Desert Golf Classic version. But the real version, I think the one that Don was modeling him on, was the guy that was in all the road pictures. The snappy, witty guy, mm -hmm. you know, who, who's, who speaks quickly and is always a step, who bumbles, who has this sort of semi-bumbling character next to Bing Crosby. But really, the guy's sly and he's slick and he's got these, he's got these city yeah. ways of talking to people. I think he kind of missed that with this character because it's in a lot of the lines. He's a snappy, witty guy. And the repartee that he has with Mark towards the end of the book really sells that to me. It's, uh, it's a vibrant character. Now, I, I'm not quite old enough to have witnessed Bob Hope except, you know, uh, as in those, you know, hey, we're honoring Bob Hope tonight. But um, he, uh, he is a massive figure in, in the American mind, at least, you know, in the mid-20th century, right? 
He's, Absolutely, yeah. He's like the celebrity in in many ways. Yeah, I mean the the whole uh, the whole thing about how his lighter has this profile on it. The you know <laughs> Bob Hope's profile with this pointy little nose is right. fa- is famous. I, I mean, I right. mean, I'm I, I'm sure twenty years from now it won't be, but you know, for people growing up in a certain time, with without question, you saw that profile, you knew exactly who that was. Right. Yeah. Absolutely, it, it's almost like yeah, he's Alfred Hitchcock is the only other yes, yes. rival, but yeah, even so, Bob Hope is the people, and Hitchcock is oh, he's the guy behind some of the movies I like, right? He's not he's not the figure on the stage; he's the guy who comes on the stage, but only to introduce something that I'm going to enjoy. <clears throat> yeah, and Bob Hope is also he's a family guy. I mean, that's his thing. He's you know, even though he might be. Uh, you know, fraternizing with the troops or or telling a joke, uh, an off color joke about stockings or anything like that. When the kids are around, he's always a, a, a vuncular, you know, he's that he's also he's ha- mostly harmless um, is kind of the, the thing with Bob Hope. So he's you know, he you're not. You know, today's celebrities, there's always a danger with them. You know, Ricky Gervais <laughs> or somebody like, you know, like, what What are they going to say? What's going to come out of their mouth? Bob Hope was totally 100% safe. Yeah, I, I liked, uh, I liked, you know, the, the fact that during his opening monologue, you know, to the audience, we're getting not just the jokes, but we're getting why he tells the jokes that way and how he thinks, oh, that joke doesn't work, but I still have to say them. Uh, and there's actually something really special going on in in the scenes with just uh, Ku Davis. In the scenes with just Ku Davis, and it sort of starts just after the kidnapping, the right. writing style changes so that we've got, uh, it's in the present tense, uh, everyday, present everyday tense, except um, it's from his point of view. So... Ku Davis doesn't do things like that. <laughs> He's looking at himself in this situation as if he was up on stage or in a movie. Right. And his memories are those of himself doing those things uh, right now that are it, – it's – it's, uh, I, I tell people, you know, people who don't know about Westlake and his style, his writing and his novels and such, the thing I say is, you know, he is the master – of sentences he knows exactly what he's doing his plots can be surprising and some are good Uh, it's like i think he's you know he's having a good night at at the bowling alley everything strikes and it plays out perfectly but um in the you know I, i think he can lose control of plots and you know sometimes they work out better than others but when it comes to actual just sentence by sentence writing i i I don't know of anybody who can beat him who's a you know of the current era it's just amazing that he can he can do that little subtle shift in in intenses and and perspectives and and give us a a different picture than when we get inside mark's mind or when we get inside uh uh peter's mind or any of the other other players in the story or even you know the the when, when we see inside the the mind of the um the FBI uh, investigator, you mm-hmm. know, he's got his own, his own uh, plans and, you know, this is going to boost his career. And if he can just solve this case, you know, he doesn't look at it the same way. And it's just because we've got Ku Davis, who is a movie star and a 
you know, a famous guy looking at himself as a famous guy. He can't look at himself like we would and the other other characters would. He's special. Uh, I think you, 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 when when he shifts to the present tense for the Ku Davis scenes, I think you're exactly right, and that it's because he's always on stage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no matter what he's doing. Um, so I mean, the rest of the book is a standard, you know, standard past tense novel, but when Ku Davis is on his present tense because he's in the moment entirely, uh, and it also goes to his. Uh, you can't stop delivering one-liners, no matter what the circumstance is. It's 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 so ingrained as a habit in him. That's how he deals with things, whether it makes sense or not. Absolutely, it's sort of a, a meeting of uh, you know, as I as I listen to you guys describe the back and forth between the present tense and the you know, it's really a meeting between the present and the past. You know, because all of these ah, absolutely, kids it's backstory, are, right? Say again. It's all. It's like all noir stories are mystery. You know, it's all. It's all backstory. Right. Uh, Chinatown. On top right. of that, these kids are living in the past, right? Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. They're totally out of touch with the new reality that nobody is uh, revolutionary anymore. What are you kidding? And it's the old man that is contemporary. Yeah, he's he's because you know, it's part of his job. He has to know what's next. So, you know, he just goes with the, he rolls with the punches, you know, that's why the goddamn Vietnam thing, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly say, you know, the, what is he, five or six times he says that goddamn Vietnam because it didn't make sense to him. He's yep. accustomed to being able to make sense of the world. Exactly the thing that, I forget which one it was, Peter or Larry, his own internal dialogue, where he was saying, you know, I used to know where the people were going and I could jump out in front of them and say, follow me. Mm-hmm. That's that's Ku's career. Yep. Yeah, that, just... that that was that was Peter, leader of the group. Larry was a theorist, and yes, you're right, exactly right. 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 But what Peter had been trying to do unsuccessfully with revolutionaries, Ku had been successfully doing his entire life in entertainment. And until Vietnam screwed everything up. Exactly. And it was it was. In listening to to it, there was a line that struck me especially that sort of fits with uh, what we've been hearing, I guess, in the last couple of you know last couple of elections. You know, um, it's the real Americans, the real yeah. America, right? He says when he's in he's in front of the troops, he's with the real Americans, even though they don't laugh at his jokes, as opposed to those those uh, whiners in the colleges, and you know who who deride him for going on USO tours. Even his soldiers, uh, you know, that he's playing to in Vietnam, they 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 laugh politely at his jokes, right? right? They're not they're not following him and so he he just can't access it. And in the same way, I think there's a lot of people who be, in that era of Vietnam, you know, you you've got people saying, "No, you know what? We don't agree with this particular uh way of doing it and why are we getting involved in that one?" There's some change happened, and it didn't happen for everybody. And f- because of that, you know, we lost the real America. Um, but I think, I'm, you know, one of my friends is likes to see how the endings of books works to see whether it has a redemption or not. And th- in this one, uh, we're getting, you know, he's got the broken relationship uh, that he didn't even know about, and then it it, it does. You know, it's a hopeful book. Uh, the comedy might be finished, but 
it's uh it's not over the show's not over quite yeah and i i read one review of the novel that was highly critical of, of the happy ending uh i guess because they just thought it needed to go darker and darker and darker uh i had no problem with it uh i i, I liked that uh you know the revolutionary fervor you know the uh you know taken to the extreme of, of violence and kidnapping uh was dying and it did die and i'm and something better came along and i was happy to see the book reflect that i mean we, mm-hmm. we, we in america we we like to think we do things at the ballot box uh, not with guns or, and and uh blackmail request mm-hmm. so i i i thought i thought it reflected the healing of the country i mean and, I, and i'm a little young for this so i i'm i'm reflecting on things I've read, not things I've lived through, but I, I think it reflected the healing of the country in the, in, in the, in the post, uh, radical post sixties era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if healing is quite the right word because I think there were still a lot of rifts there. Um, but what I think is what it, what it really reflects is moving on. Um, <clears throat> and we move on sort of a thing. Um, yeah. because Reagan exploited those rifts just a couple years later. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I agree, I think I understand what you're saying, and I agree with where you're coming from. But I think that what it really is was a, sort of a settling into a new normal, and that that new normal meant that you know, mom, pop, and apple pie isn't necessarily all it's cut up, you know, <clears throat> cut up to be. Let's let's just take a step back and and be more sober about things going forward. Um, I don't think, and I think that's where the malaise came, partly came from the Carter malaise is that Mm -hmm. there was this massive reassessment going on, uh, and just a basic stepping back from the brink. And, uh, and I think, but I think those, there were still festering wounds. And then, you know, 1979, 1980 comes along and, and I think Reagan really took advantage of that. So I think there was a lot that was still underneath the surface. And I think that some of that is expressed here, for instance, in Ku's ambivalence about, you know, what he's learning about, about this kid that he met in Korea all those years ago. And what he's learning now, you know, he's now in that place where he's questioning his own motivations for the first time. And I think a lot of people, especially from his generation, started to do that. Once things started to calm down, yeah, there was a healing going on. But now there was also a period of reflection. And what did we just go through? And what do I really stand for? Um, and I think there was a lot of loss of identity in that time frame, which opened up a lot of possibilities. And ultimately, what we wound up with was the Reagan revolution, essentially. But um, but I think that it was a rawness at that time um, that is being exploited by a lot of different folks. And the, and the only sort of you know methodology that nobody wants to deal with at all anymore is what these kids are doing. And uh, the one, the, I, I think you're 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 right in, uh, in 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 toning down healing. That was too strong a word. Um, I, th- I think you nailed it. Um, but what what I thought was interesting is that for none of these kids, it's really political. Uh, right. the, 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 the 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 uh the theorist Larry 
It is, but he's so up in up in the clouds that it, you know, he's not even close to Earth. Uh, it's a religion for him. It's- yeah, and, and 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 for Peter, it's a power trip. And the other ones, you 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 don't even know what is going through their heads to draw them to politics, other than maybe the drama. And Mark obviously has uh, daddy issues. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and Joyce, the, the one who keeps cooking all the time and making sandwiches, yeah. you, you, you get the feeling that whatever organization she fell into, she'd be doing the exact same thing. It could be the Girl Scouts or it could be the Rotary, but in this case, it's, it's a radical leftist organization. Uh, she doesn't express a political thought the entire novel. I I I just love that you know it, it's it's kind of like a really scary version of Dortmunder the the you know the the gang that couldn't shoot straight sort of thing though the woman uh, in the kitchen making sandwiches that nobody wants to eat and they just eventually yell at her and say stop making those damn sandwiches it's the it's the Dortmunder gang if they were all psychotic it, yes. pretty much yeah <laughs> oh uh, my he does, I love I love that we get into you know their minds and see, you know, yeah, Mark, Mark is a really interesting character because he does have an arc and a, and a, uh, you know, uh, uh, he says, you know, it took a lot to make mom cry. <laughs> That's <laughs> a tough scene. Yeah. Yeah. And yet also, you know, he, he, uh, he's not a hundred percent sure that, you know, his mom didn't lie to him that, that maybe Ku Davis isn't his dad. And, and it's uh, you know it's uh, never having been in that situation myself i i can't say how i would react but i can certainly see the the strong uh, emotions coming out and and i, I uh, he he sort of he sort of is doing a westlake also in that he's saying let's just see how it plays out right, right? after a certain point he's not saying um i i'm promising not to kill you i'm promising to save you um, I just guarantee that if you're going to be killed, it's going to be me who does it, <laughs> rather than, um, <laughs> you know. So at least you have that. Yeah, because this is a father-son thing, rather than <laughs> anything else. It's not. It's not about communism. It's it, not. It's it, 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 it's something I actually didn't know what to make of in the novel, um, where none of the kids look like him. Right. His, his his two children, uh, supposedly by his wife, don't bear resemblance on it and he comments on that and then of course when mark shaves his beard he doesn't look like that much 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 like him either and i don't know if he was saying yeah these women were sleeping around too or if it really just was yeah my genetics don't happen to make my kill my children look like me I, I I was I was trying to puzzle it out and I had no answer at all. So I, I think there's some, there's uh, maybe Paul has more insight, but I I think uh, there's two things. Uh, Westlake tends to write about what he knows about, but there's also the other thing is is if they looked like him, then it wouldn't go into what is being a parent and what is being you know if he's just the father in the sense that he pays the bills, um, that's really what he's been doing, right? He really he wants to be loved and he wants to love his children, but he doesn't. He's not really responsible enough for it. So, if if they looked like him and he didn't uh, father them like a real father should, then uh, he has that excuse. Maybe they're not mine. 
Whereas if they don't look like him and they are his, uh, but more importantly, even if they aren't, and he has the father fatherly duties, then he should. Uh, you know, the, the the question in the end is: Does is Mark really his son? I think we all agree that he is, right? I think uh, uh, I think it's you know yeah I I would agree that he is I think it's I think the honeydew is the is the clincher um you know uh, it's possible that she was sleeping around with other people but yeah. let's just assume that the last guy that she was with you know and he knew that she was pregnant and all that and I also think that the two kids that the first two not looking like him I I actually think that's that might just be. Don's way of of it could go either way, um, but it could just be Don's way of saying no. This guy just doesn't pass on strong genes, so people wouldn't see his likeness in any child in any illegitimate children that might be running around out there. Hmm. Because there's really no question as to whether the first two kids are his. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to say they weren't based right. on the relationship and such. But uh, also based on Honeydew, you know, there's, uh, by the end of the novel, there was no question. Like, I never even thought about the question, oh, is he Mark really his son? Because, you know, they have that scene in when Mark's shaved and, and then he says, come here. And they look at each other in the mirror and then he grabs them by the neck and shoves their faces next to each other. Um, and by the end of that, you're not saying, oh, uh, I wonder if Mark and he are father and son. It's just, uh, they've been through so much emotionally, uh, <laughs> you know, just in that scene, but also in life that they are. And the, the choice to act as father and son, I think is, is, uh, is enough. It doesn't make me say, oh, it's a genetic – like, genetics don't matter in fiction, right? <laughs> so whether whether uh, Donald Westlake planned it so that uh, they really were genetically and he had written it down in a book somewhere and yet we may never know about it, that doesn't matter because – you've. I think you've hit on it that the point is that whether you are – that even a father-son relationship is a choice. That's it, right. And that's what it comes, you know, and, and in the end, in this novel, they've chosen each other. I, I think, you know, what clinched it for Koo was was the sense of humor, right? Oh, <laughs> he was, you know, the pride beaming in him as he's still worrying about dying. Yeah, and, his yep. son's making jokes about murdering him and he's, <laughs> he's you know, oh, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I actually had a theory that... Uh, the the t- the two kids with his uh, official wife were not uh, actually his because he was on the road all the time. Who knows what she's doing? But this one actually was, and 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 it's expressed through like out of nowhere. He's he's got this, you know. He can do he can do the patter. He can he can come mm. up with the one liners. Mm. Where, where, whereas the other two kids have no resemblance to him at all. Well. Right. I th- I think that uh, there, you'd have to posit something, po- you know, positively that showed that they weren't. I would say that that that's just sometimes how it is. You know, people he he didn't have a relationship with them because he wasn't interested in having a relationship with them. Right? They he he put himself out of their lives, and that was a mistake. But he didn't put himself out of Mark's life. He didn't know Mark lived. And so when they both make the choice, uh, you're my father, I'm, you're my son, 
that is, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there was a line uh, near the beginning of the book as well that said, uh, Ku Davis didn't do messages, right? Uh, he, he, he said, leave the messages to Western Union. That was one of his jokes um, about his jokes. And in, uh, in the same way, I don't think Westlake ever writes books that are messages. There's no moral of the story. But if there is one, if, if there's a takeaway, is that the arc is paid off in, the, in, the, in that surprising way that, you know, he's kidnapped. Oh, his kidnapper's one of his sons. He's really mad at him. That's why he was kidnapped. Um, and they, in making their choice be, by becoming a, uh, a Patty Hearst <laughs> to his own son, uh, his own son's Liberation Army, he's he's uh, he's he's made into a, a father I, in a way. I think Ku's stage of life is significant, also. I mean, yeah, when the first two kids are are born, he's at the beginning, at the very the very beginning. He's, it's in fact, as far as I recall, in the early stages of the book, he describes that the kids are born right before his stardom. So he's not really that guy yet when the first two children are born, but he's, but that's the guy he wants to be. So all of his, his ambition is outward. And now, you know, he's come full circle and he's in this room and he meets his new, his son that he never knew he had. And he's at the sunset of his career where half of the nation has passed him by anyway. So maybe he's got some new priorities. Obviously, being held captive for as long as he had was part of the the changing of his attitude. If he was if, if he had met Mark while he was in the middle of his busy day working at the studio, he may have paid him no attention at all. Yeah, it would be a problem to be dealt with. Exactly. But because of the circumstance he was in and the stage of life that he was in, suddenly the doors opened to a new coup. So he has the arc also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of characters who get no arc at all. Uh, or if they do, it's not enough. Um, the agents? <laughs> uh, well, I was thinking I was thinking like... Um, the uh, Lindsay... Yeah, um, is that the agent's name, Lindsay? Uh, Lindsay, yeah, the agent, yeah. Right, so she she's obviously, like, this is her big big relationship in her life, even if it's, you know, more one way. Uh, she she doesn't, she, she plays into a lot of the, the, the scenes with the, the FBI and, and the cops, but it's, it's like, the entire novel becomes the relationship at, uh, just between father and son at the end, and and so the the other characters like the detective and the uh, and the the agent, yeah, they're sort of cut off in a in a uh, in a way. It feels like a little bit unfinished in that sense. And it's it's, it's something he does a lot, and I I I, I know that he he never knew how a book was going to end when he started it, but he, he often leads, leaves uh, plot threads unfinished and it, which is, you can think of it as a flaw or an artistic choice. I mean, we've got the alcoholic agent mm-hmm. we've got, we've, we've, uh, or the alcoholic FBI guy. We have the agent uh, who loves him even though the last time they slept together was probably 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, and, and, you, and you've got the, uh, the ex-wife and the kids, and they're all just hanging out there. But when the book ends, none of those stories go anywhere. They're, they're, they're just, 
well, he's he's still an alcoholic FBI agent, and uh, she's still bitter at uh, her her husband. Uh, there's no, and and I sort of in in this book at least I really like that. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, life is complicated and it goes on. Yep. And and this this particular yeah. situation may be sort of resolved, but there's plenty of other mess out there. Yeah, and Lindsay's going to continue to be hopelessly in unrequited love with him and the the ex or the wife and the kids are going to continue to be what they are. I mean, th- this th- because this situation is resolved doesn't mean that everybody's personality has now changed or no, or something. No. So, yeah, and and this is the moment that we visited with them and now that's done. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think that it's a fine as long as you're not introducing so much that I need to know what happens to that guy. It's uh, it's it's something I, I I look for and enjoy. Just like you know, every uh, if it's not every, almost every standalone Westlake novel has, uh, and block novel too. Uh, the line uh, is, um, and I was in that movie, a sound of distant drums. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I want to see that movie. It sounds like uh, it's it plays uh, in the '60s and the '70s. It must be really good. It's been made remade easily like twenty or thirty times, is my guess. Oh, it's, 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 sometimes it's a play. Yeah, right. Play. <laughs> Have they ever turned it into a turned it into a 1930s radio drama? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should. <laughs> You know, with like sheets of metal in the background, you know, but, um, <laughs> like those, um, like, you know, those little touches that are just, you know, oh, I need to move. Oh, I know what I'll put in there. You know, <laughs> the <laughs> little things that are put in there. Um, there, there's the, the care, the, the characters just having their own lives. There's no, you know, if, if we're looking at it from how, you know, they teach it to you in high school. There are round characters and there are flat characters. Right. Well, in a Westlake novel, there there are no flat characters. They're just characters who don't get a lot of screen time. Right. right. They're there and they have their own lives and they're busy, you know, making their plans. And maybe those plans will intersect somewhere else in this novel, but probably not. They're just there to help, you know, help the help the uh, <coughs> scenes move on. And you know. If you're going to an office, there will be a secretary, and the secretary will have a uh, her own story. And and I just love, you know, oh, what's who? Oh, I see what's going on here. <laughs> you know, the 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 lawyers who have aspirations to be painters, and the the um, the manager who's cheating on her husband, and you know, all the uh, the little stuff in the background. It it's like a if it was a painting, you could tell, oh, this is a Westlake. You know, it has those touches no matter what subject it's on. And, and, and he, he uses that technique of, of, of filling out the background characters really brilliantly here, going back to Honeydew. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning of the novel, you don't know much about him, much about her, other than she's gone on USO tours and she's a blonde with, uh, you know, big, big, big brass. Right. <laughs> and, and, and she's actually the only person mentioned that isn't filled, you know, fleshed out in some fashion. And then it all comes out at the end, mm-hmm. where, it, uh, you know, basically Charo has become a bitter old woman. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, well, she's it, got it, kind it, of a hell of an asshole for a son who's kind of <laughs> a little bit like her, like his his dad. <laughs> 
You know, well, you know, I, I, I think I'd probably have some resentment if my mom said, I wish I would have had an abortion. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'd carry that a little bit, <clears throat> but you know, he, I think he did that when he was a teenager, which, uh, you know, explains a lot. And also, you know, I like that he knew what he was doing. I was trying to make her cry, you know, uh, that's not something you, you know, if, if it's something you do, uh, consciously, then you're uh, an evil fuck. But I, don't think, I don't think uh, Mark is an evil fuck. I think um, he was uh, an upset teenager who had daddy issues, and uh, he can look back and say, yeah, that's what I was doing, right? I was trying to make her cry, and he's upset over the fact that he did make her cry, but, uh, you know, get, throwing out that raw, the, the rock collection, the only thing she ever loved... Uh, besides you, right or whatever, um, it, it's a, it's it's touching in a way. It's sad. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, I, I think Don Don is interesting. He he'd always called himself a romantic writer because he never believed that the situations that he had invented were really all that plausible. Mm. Um, but I think the reason that a lot of people describe him as a realistic writer is because he fleshes out these characters so succinctly with with a sort of a minimal amount of description. Indeed. You know, uh, just, you know, th- this turned into that. That's all you need to know. Um, you can uh, your your imagination can fill the rest in. And I think that by being subtle about the way he describes realistic characters, he creates a realism in the reader's mind that then translates into the plot itself. But then if you step back a bit and you look just at the plot, it can sometimes be kind of implausible that that would happen at all. But given these characters who are so realistic to me, it kind of makes sense that they can find themselves in that circumstance. Yeah. He tends to... uh... Yeah, I think dip into his real life. I mean, whenever he's running out of ideas for, uh, uh, you can see. So, oh, that's an idea. I'll write that out. You know, it's like a um, uh, the score. And he says, "Okay, we've heisted everything. We've heisted a bank and truck. What? what oh, a whole town. Hey, that's a novel. <laughs> Start writing." And then you know he finds ways to keep going. Oh, rock concert. You know, he he can heist anything, but. Uh, what was the, one of the Dortmunders? They they heisted a town that was under underwater. You know, so I just imagine Westlake reading that as a uh, you know an article saying that oh there was a town that was flooded and there was a bank in that town. Oh, <laughs> perfect! <laughs> right? There's a whole novel. We got to figure out how to drain that. Um, yeah. I, well, it, I, I I I know for a fact that the mourner was was uh, inspired by an article. Yeah, I think a lot of his stuff has been inspired by, um, by you know, news articles or whatever. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the stepfather. I assume you are, yeah. Yeah. but that's straight. That was ripped straight out of the news. Um, that was a an actual, you know, serial killer. I can't remember exactly what his story was or who it was, but there was actually a person who had murdered a couple of families, and the story was based on on that scenarios. And there are several others that I know of. My brother, one of my brothers, got into it so much with my father because, like, because you know, we, uh, <clears throat> I, my, I, several of my my family's a little bit fractured, so I didn't, we didn't always grow up in the same, under the same roof. But I, you know, was spent 
uh, all of my summers and winter breaks and all that with my father. So there was so there were significant portions when we weren't with him and significant portions when we were. So uh, because we were the intermittent kids in his life, we got a lot of the stories. Uh, you know, this is what I've been doing the last six months or whatever. Um, and I can't remember, there was a point of, I'm sorry, I'm blowing your podcast because I've no, just started a right. point and I can't remember where I was going with it. But uh, that, that's oh. pretty much how these work. <laughs> right. No, I just remember now. My brother Todd and my brother Sean both have had moments where we would get to, you know, we're, we're having the family holiday get together. They say, hey, I've thought of three Dortmunder ideas. <laughs> You know, um, and they'll just and it's like, you know, what if, you know, and usually it was like endings, you know, Dortmunder endings because they're so fun, you know. Yeah. So what if at the end, you know, they got the money and it was in the car, but the car was left in the wrong place and it was taken to the junkyard and cubed. Yeah. So, so they get the car and the money, but it's inside a cube that they have to unfold somehow, you know? <laughs> that sounds exactly like a Dartmunder. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the money's shredded by the time they open the cube. Of course. Uh, they'll, get, they'll still get some of it, but it won't be enough. <laughs> right. It'll be just enough to finance the next job. That's right. <laughs> That's fun stuff. I, I, you know, I, I I haven't read everything. I've read, It's pretty hard to. And yeah. Out of print, and uh, the the one I really want to get made into an audiobook is Kahawa. Oh, I love Kahawa. Yeah, it's a th- it's a thick one, uh, but I just love I, I love the idea that it's 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 a premise in it's you know I think Westlake writes about pl- real places. He, he he has definite settings. This one's California, uh, S- Santa Barbara is it? Um, Burbank, Santa Barbara, that whole area, yeah. Okay, so it's you know it's it's probably if it wasn't written there, it was written shortly after being there. It's it's you know I didn't Westlake write one novel about um it wasn't a novel there was a one uh biography no not biography it was he's a, done, he's done two nonfiction books one was a biography on Elizabeth Taylor and the other one was called Under an English Heaven that's it yeah which is the uh the history of Anguilla it's a wonderful read actually um because it's got all the wonderful Westlake sardonic humor observations on the world and the characters uh, you know that he's dealing with. He's not mean to anybody, but he just observes what they are. And he went to Anguilla a couple of times and interviewed people in the whole thing. This is a it's a good book and it's and there's just a lot of good you know, all of the things that we love Westlake's writing for, his observations on mm-hmm. the absurdities of life, um, really get a, you know, get a wonderful airing in Under an English Heaven because the situation itself is so completely absurd. So you take an absurd situation filled with absurd people and then you take Don and and give him all of that material. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. Anybody who has not read Under an English Heaven, just for the sheer joy of it. Uh, forget that, you know, I mean, the history is hilarious and wonderful, but just the joy of reading Don's descriptions of these people, these real people is really phenomenal. I, I think it'd be hard to get, uh, an audiobook made out of it cause it's not a novel, but <laughs> I, I'm going to do my best and get somebody to, to put it hey, a you know what? in a few uh, uh, years. Uh, quickly, uh, wanted to mention that, uh, cause you brought up Kahawa. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of inside baseball. My stepmother tells me that an option has been taken out on it for a film. We don't know if anything's going to happen. This is the way things go in Hollywood, of course. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, there has been interest expressed in expanding on uh, the the Westlake filmography from his novels, yeah. uh, and this from Very from a couple of the people who are working on the Parker novel right now, the new Parker movie. So yeah, you know it's uh, it's amazing. You know most people think you know Stephen King's had a lot of movies. I if you start doing the counting, I think you might find that Westlake has more movies than Stephen King, which is pretty impressive. I mean. There's a lot of obscure ones like the Hot Rock and Jimmy the. Isn't Jimmy uh, the, 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 the I don't think the Hot Rock is obscure, but yeah, uh, that's that's oh, pretty well, extreme. Obs- no, I mean it's in the sense that people don't recognize it now. It's from a long time ago. Well, I mean most of his movies, you'd have to go to Payback or The Grifters before you get to something that he's worked on that most of the pop people who follow popular sure. culture okay. recognize. I guess if, if it has Robert Redford in it, it can't be uh, obscure. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, uh, unfortunately, most of the movies based on his books have not been all that good right i was going to point to uh, cops and robbers uh, if you guys have read that book it's a it's a really fun book it's very much like a dortmunder except it's it's non non-series mm-hmm. uh, a couple of cops who <laughs> who live in the suburbs decide to uh to become criminals to make some make some money and you know they've got wives and kids and things to deal with but yeah it's a it's a fun book and it's a fun movie too uh, and cast, uh, you know, a, a couple of no names who did yeah. well, um, but uh, and went on to do a couple. I forget exactly. They they did go on to do a, some character roles later on. Those guys, um, and it's got a fun soundtrack. Um, yeah. You know, it's a de- but that's the thing. It's like the, a lot of the movies that were made out of Don's books are kind of B level. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not Hollywood blockbusters. They're right. not Philip K. Dick uh, Minority Report sort of. Well, uh, a, a lot of the times, I, I I was actually just writing about this because I, w- I was talking about the the split came out on DVD this week, mm-hmm. based on the seventh, and it, it, a lot of them they, they they took the plot, but they didn't take the characters, and the characters right. are part of what what makes the Donald Westlake novels so much fun to read. Uh, I mean, certainly. Any movie based on Parker, other than maybe the director's cut of Payback, it's like okay, here's the heist plot, and uh, so now he's got a brother and a kid or something, that kind of thing. Right. Which, uh, They're making it Hollywood, right? Well, that's one of the reasons why Don never let them use Parker, um, the word, the name Parker, because he. <clears throat> I'll just to give you the. Uh, the the new version of Parker is allowed to use Parker because they bought more than one book. Ah. Um, because they uh, have options on – I don't know if it's the entire Parker series or just all the Parker novels, not the Growfields and the Stark mm-hmm. series, blah, blah, blah. But they took out uh, – they took options on enough of them to suggest that they would be – serious about continuing to make movies and turn this into a series and that was the main restriction for don i said look if you're going to use this character this character recurs multiple times and i'm not going to have you starting with a parker started calling him parker the first time and then you can never use the name again right so if you're going to use him if you're going to take the plot but you're not going to really take the series or the characters then you can't use parker so that's why there's always porter or palmer or something else um this one because les alexander took more of the books in the series and has indicated that he's you know definitely interested in pursuing more of them he's been allowed to use parker you know other than 
the outfit, which I actually talked to you, Paul, about earlier this week. Um, uh, my favorite Parker movie is actually uh, City of Industry. Have you seen that? Oh, I hate that movie. Really? <laughs> I, I really thought. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it, well, I mean, uh, Mr. Westlake should have sued because it's uh, a, it, 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 it's the sour lemon score only they didn't pay for the rights. Oh, so it's another Made in USA. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I haven't seen that one, but yeah. Oh, don't. <laughs> no, well, it's it's French, so I don't know what what. Uh, how I, I have no idea anything about it. It's never been released on DVD in the states, right? No, it uh, is. A, it, it came out on DVD a couple of years ago from uh, Criterion. Yeah, they finally relented. My father finally relented and let them do their thing. But um, but for every review I've ever read about it is that it's terrible. Uh, what what about what's wrong with City of Industry? Oh, I just thought it was boring. Uh, I I think it's it's not a good movie for most people because if you haven't read a Parker book, uh, you're gonna say uh, there's a lot of mean characters in here. Uh, they're they're doing a lot of mean things, but uh, it it is very much closer to the plot. It's got a hard edge to it. But I, I think, you know, translating to film, you're not going to get a very good uh, Westlake uh, version of Parker most of the time just because it is so internal. It's it's about... Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's Clint Eastwood with internal monologue in a way, right? It's not just the, the Sergio Leone music and the, you know, the three words and then a gunfight. It's... it's uh, uh, Parker wouldn't do something like that because that's not efficient or whatever. Right. Um, it's, it's got the. It, it's so internal and. Uh, you have so, to find visual ways to cue that to people, and it's very tricky. So yeah, I, I agree. It's not an easy translate. Series, I could see that as you know a really uh, you know that would make a lot more sense. A Dortmunder TV series of the Westlake is going to adapt them. Well, my, 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 my favorite uh, not directly based on Westlake version of Parker is the Limey with, uh, Ter- with Terrence Stamp, which uh, it's hard. I've uh, co- co- corresponded with the screenwriter, and he, he, he told me that the, uh, the original name for the, for the movie was Stark. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he, 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 it was absolutely intended to be uh, an homage, and it's it's, it's a different character. Uh, have you have you guys seen the movie? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I need to see this now. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah I, he he he's old. I mean, it's Terrence Stamp. He's very old, and uh, I guess it sort of has a similar theme to the comedy is finished in that uh, he has a uh, he has a daughter. That he really didn't have any relationship with, and well, I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but he's a hard it, man. It's, it's pretty much uh, Parker is an old man who actually has some concern about a kid uh, of his, and it, it's a really it's Steven Soderbergh directed it. It's it, it's a good movie, and and, and uh, the, the screenwriter actually wrote me. I didn't contact him <laughs> and said, hey, I just want you to know that everything you said when you said this movie was a lot like a Parker book was intentional. <laughs> oh, right on. <clears throat> I definitely have to check that out. I didn't know that at all. So, uh, Kahawa, uh, what, what, what's the story? Did, uh, your dad just read a lot of newspapers or was he, uh, did he go to, uh, 
uh, you know, Africa and it, it's uh, I haven't read it. It's something like a coffee heist in uh, in uh, uh, I'll encapsulate. I'm African not giving anything away. I'll encapsulate it for you. Uh, Idi Amin's Uganda. Right. So you know, it's a cult of personality nation. So there, so the rule of law doesn't really exist. Um, and there is um, a uh, their crop. Somebody either their crop or somebody else's crop, coffee crop for one year failed for some reason. So there's a special coffee shipment <clears throat> that is going to be sent from Uganda to somewhere else. I forget exactly across Uganda. And this group of this, you know, this band of business people who are, you know, living on a knife's edge in Uganda decide that they want to get out. And the way to do it is to steal the coffee train. <laughs> So it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, and that's not really, you know, the, the what they're going to do is set up within the first few chapters. It's how they're going to go about doing it. That that is the fun of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually, and, I actually just bought that book two weeks ago at uh, a used bookstore in New Orleans. And then that, that, that whole period of uh, the 70s through mid 80s is the part uh of Donald Wesley's catalog, I've read the least, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, there's a lot of books in there, and and they're most of them are out of print. I would say it's it's pretty, you know, uh, it's it's I, I I got a copy of Enough, which uh, you know they turn into that movie Ordo, which uh, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed with. It wasn't wasn't awesome, but uh, what was the other the other half was also something really special. Uh, the other half of what? Uh, of uh, Ordo and uh, oh, uh, a, a slight case of murder. I love that. movie. Oh right, right, right. I love that movie, a travesty. I <laughs> just, I think they really captured, uh, you know, the the Westlakian um, comedy. <laughs> so I killed my girlfriend, but I'm I didn't do it on purpose, even though I I did have motive. Um, I think that uh, just there's some really great stuff still to be found and i i i'm i'm sort of saving kahawa for when <laughs> i can i can do a, a, a you know give it justice because it's uh it's it's still not out on audiobook but i think it'd make a good one it sounds really good yeah, yeah I, 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 go ahead people pe- 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 people expect me to be the expert on this stuff but like dude there's like there's no way to well be an expert over, there's well over 100 novels i mean, you know, I, I, if I if I if I read ten a year, I, it'll take me ten years. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I when I was growing up, <clears throat> obviously I have access to probably everything that he's written, or as, as close to access to more uh, more than he's written than just about anybody else. And I haven't read it all. I just don't. You know, when I was a younger man, I was into you know a teenager and all that. I was into fantasy and science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so Parker was something that I came to later. I mean, I'd read Dortmunder when I was younger, um, but I didn't drift over to Parker until I was probably in my thirties. Um, and so, uh, you know, because he's the damn, the guy was prolific, you know, you can't <laughs> keep up with him half of the time. So, uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm running the website and I feel like I should be more expert than I am. Um, I'm getting there. <clears throat> I'm reading more of his stuff. Obviously we just did the comedy is finished and I'm reading mm-hmm. more of his stuff. All the time. Yeah, this is your first read of it, right? 
Yes, my and first you, read of comedy. You got it as an audiobook. Uh, as your first read, did did you have a uh, like? I didn't even know how Koo Davis was spelt until I looked it up. It's right. K. K O O. K. I, w- I originally, when I was listening, thought C O O for Koo. Yeah, me too. Like that. But. I thought I thought it was like Koo, as in um, the sound a girl makes when you're kissing her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That almost made more sense. But then I was thinking, if it was C O O, that would be Bob, sort of inverted and moved around right you know bob hope but if it's k-o-o then i think it's just uh, it's just a weird name it's just a weird name <laughs> which you know bob hope is not a real name i that was not his his real name right um and oh by the way uh, you guys were saying somebody said earlier that he was uh he was a respected figure uh he wasn't just a respected figure he was uh, a, a knight he was knighted like three times by uh, the British aristocracy. He was from England originally. Wow. So, um, I, I just think say, that, I, I didn't think they would knight Americans, but I guess I, I guess not. But I don't know. It says he is, and he's got three different uh, th- three different kinds. Yeah. So it must have his, been some his, exception. Yeah, his par- his parents were immigrants, but he was born in the UK. Uh, he he became a citizen. I, I looked at the Wikipedia article too. <laughs> I could have claimed uh, deep knowledge, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he he, uh, he 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 became a he became an American at uh, American citizen at seventeen or so. Hmm. Um, but I, I I don't know what the rules are for knighting. No one's ever offered it to me. <clears throat> as long as yeah, <laughs> as long as um, as long as you're a Brit. My understanding is as long as you're a British citizen, you can get the highest order that they give. But if you're not, there there are other lesser ones that they can give out. So Rudy Giuliani has something that he got from them. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like the OBE or whatever it is, but it's not a full knighthood. Yeah, and uh, in fact, the same rules apply for Canada. So it's one of the reasons I have not been knighted is because uh, you're not allowed to ha- accept titles. Um, no titles so, or emoluments, right? Yes, that's right. So uh, the uh, well, that is foreign titles. You can get right. Canadian titles, right. but uh, uh, Conrad Black, uh, the newspaper baron, uh, became an actual newspaper baron, uh, but he had to give up his Canadian citizenship uh, when when he did that. And the government made a point: no, no, we're not going to make an exception for you, not just because we don't like you and your newspapers, but also because it's the rule. So. Interesting. I think he's, I think he's in, a, in an American jail at the moment, so yeah. <laughs> titles do not right. help him all that but much. But is he actually a baron? Is that the title? Yeah, he, uh, all news. If you buy a newspaper on Fleet Street, you get to be a baron, basically. That's, oh, that's. <laughs> they just give you a. Uh, he's he's. I believe he's Lord Black of Coal Harbor. That's hilarious. Yeah. Doing time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. For stealing from his company, I believe. And his stockholders, but um, uh, you know, so you, you mentioned science fiction uh, and fantasy. Uh, Westlake wrote a little bit, not not a whole lot, and then he, I believe, in around the time that this book is set, he wrote a sort of a "Why I'm Not Writing Science Fiction Anymore" uh, essay that was yes. published. Right, uh, and I think uh, part of that is you know, he it wasn't really. He wasn't really suited to it. He's he's really is his own genre, and and the most of the stuff that was being written then was would not really have fit in with him that well. But uh, there is one novel, uh, one science fiction novel uh, by Kurt Clark, 
AKA Anarch Chaos. Yeah. Book, yeah. I love that book. It's um it's it's really grim. Um, uh, and Trent, it is are science you familiar fiction. with Anarchaos also? No, I I know it exists. I haven't read it. The only the only you Westlake science fiction you oh, must I, I, oh, I know. Said that the, the stack is is very it's, large. It's a very well, not thin only novel. that. Rolf Malone, in my opinion, is a precursor to Parker. <laughs> he is a he is um, uh, a Parker who gets uh, very hard done by uh, by his uh, his creator. Though <laughs> he does not have a whole lot of fun on that planet, even though that's his plan. I love I love that novel because it's it's so surprising. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, and but again, it's a it's a very internal book. It's all internal, di- you know, what each of these characters is going through for the most part. It's very, you know, there's obviously action and stuff that happens, but the the internal nature of it is, in my opinion, you know, who this guy is, the code that he lives by, and the internal nature of the of the way the story is rendered is, to my mind, very Parker like, and he wrote this. What, he wrote Anarchaos probably 19, somewhere 60 around 1960, 64, 65, something like yeah. that. So this is right around the origin of Parker. Yeah, <laughs> and it's I, very I, dark. And it is very dark. <clears throat> um, and it, I think it has a fantastic ending, which is unusual. The, the type of, you know, he doesn't give those kinds of, of big endings usually, but it works in this in that book, I think, a lot. I, I'm uh, I'm thinking we should do a read along on that when uh, we can get a new audiobook version. There actually was one done a long time ago. Um, it might have been abridged though, and that was a uh, uh, really good reading too. It was by um, Theodore Bickel. You you know who he is? Hmm, uh, no. He is the fiddler on the Fiddler in the Roof. Ah. Um, and great voice, just really deep, dark, and. Oh, resonant it's funny that they abridged that one because it's not that long to begin with uh, is not it? 100 pr- yeah it's not that long but i think it was like a four cassette uh package and they added some stories on the end as well so uh i'm not 100 percent sure that's that's uh abridged but i'm pretty sure it is yeah the the, well, the, uh, the only uh the only westlake science fiction i read was the short story the risk profession yeah which was essentially a great story as well it, it was a great story but it was also uh, this is a mystery story. Only we've set it in space. Yep. <laughs> right. I, I, I like the story, but his heart wasn't into the spaceships and stuff. Uh, I don't know. As I, far I, as I could tell from that. He, he, there's at least a dozen or so. And, you know, one of the ones I, I use with my students um, is a, a fantasy story, a Christmas fantasy story that is really fun. I, I that's my I say, oh, Christmas oh, yeah. is next you, week. You, 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 you use knackles and knackles. Oh knackles. my gosh. It's I the, have I, I I have the uh issue of uh Twilight Zone magazine. Oh. Where where uh Harlan Ellison talks about uh his attempted adaptation of knackles for the show, only it was too oh. dark and the network rejected it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, I would really, of, uh, I would Harlan really, Ellison, I would really like to post all that on the site. But I know Harlan Ellison sues everybody, and <laughs> uh, and plus he's pretty much a recluse, so I don't even know how to ask for permission. Uh, right. I can help you that maybe. Yeah, hey, if 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 you can give me permission, because it it's it, it's uh it's an interesting story. The ma- the magazine's got uh. Uh, Donald Westlake's story, 
a Harlan Ellison screenplay, which is very different, and and also an essay on Harlan Ellis by Harlan Ellison on how it all fell apart in making it for the TV show. It, it's really good stuff, and I'd, I'd love to share it. I just <laughs> I don't like getting sued. Right. <laughs> Wow. And yeah, no, I've heard we've a lot. Harlan does have that reputation, unfortunately. So, uh, have you guys looked at the Starship Hopeful series on the website? Yeah, uh, where did where, where were those originally published? Because I well, I've never seen them except on the website. That's it. That he on his uh-huh. original version of the website. That was that was his one little bit of self publishing. He had written these things. I don't know exactly when. You know, many many years ago. Um, and he couldn't sell them, probably. Yeah. That, well, that's he thought he initially, right? And he thought he might do a series or turn it into a series, like a book with a series of short stories, or like he doesn't. It was just one of these things. Like he had some ideas and he put them down, and that's what came out. And then he just never went any further with it. So when when he first had the website built ages ago by you know a random person, he said, "Hey, throw these up there." Um, so I've carried them over into the new version. It's under the shorts, uh, menu and you find Starship Hopeful in there and they're all in there. And I, I just think they're, I think Don used science fiction as a backdrop. He still told the same stories. He told stories the way he wanted to tell them. And they were almost invariably about interesting characters in weird situations. Um, but he didn't care so much about the science side of the fiction. Well, it, you know, I think a lot of people get, when they're talking about, you know, writers who used to write, uh, Lawrence Block wrote one science fiction story that I've read uh, from the 50s, and it is, it's not fantasy, it's not it's not science fiction, it's, it's, maybe it's a fantasy, and it's some sort of allegory that I'm not getting, but <laughs> uh, may, maybe that's what it is. There's a tower and some guy with wings at the top of it, and it's like, okay, I, I, I can't remember it that well, but... The thing is, is most science fiction is pretty allegorical anyways, and that's not really Westlake either. He's more right. about characters and the situation and sort of an emotional experience in that situation. I mean, I think Humans is a really good example. Technically, it's uh, some sort of fantasy or science fiction book. Right. If you look at the, the, the plot and the... The ideas behind it, but really, it's a Westlake book. It right. it, it, it feels like uh, just a an outrageous premise. And I had uh, I did another podcast uh, a while ago um, about uh, what was it? Smoke, which is uh, a Dortmunder like character who gets the power to be invisible. Right. Um, and it's it's not really about you know if you compare it to the Invisible Man, they're completely different kinds of books, even though. They can do the same kinds of things. It's because one is uh, telling the story of uh, community and being outside of the community and having uh, inappropriate powers. And the other one is telling about a, a, a thief who has the ability to sneak into things and then the trouble that gets him into. Right. And um, but but I thought there was a wonder, some wonderful things in the uh, in smoke that you don't get in your average Invisible Man story, absolutely. which is you know walking around barefoot in Manhattan. It's not fun. No, you get to. <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, you know, I think he recruits his. That's a great book. He recruits uh, a girlfriend to help him, uh, and he's always hungry and uh, he's cold. And then there's this company that's trying to what they're trying to get his DNA or something to reproduce the effect. And it's it, it's 
it's a or you know use him as a spy if they can't yeah, reduce the effect right. they want to at least use him as a spy in in their competitors boardrooms and yeah, oh my that's god right. it's yeah and everybody's an asshole and that's yeah. that's that's what really for the most part as far as i can tell you know if i was going to say one thing that you're going to discover in Westlake novels is that everybody one way or another is a jerk off. <laughs> yeah, that's entirely true. There, 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 you know, there's the only like, like, like I've been, I've been writing my review of, of the comedy is finished and I use the word asshole <laughs> and, I, and I try to keep a family friendly site, but like Koo Davis asshole. well i mean everybody when you when you boil it down i think that the character that to my mind that is the most asshole it because she's so enigmatic and and totally directionless is joyce Mm. she doesn't come to a good end either no she (laughs) you know and then of course she goes crazy in the most wonderful way you know but it's like you, you know, and Don sets her up for that. It's like, you know what? Uh-huh. You're kind of an asshole in the most boring way. So this he, is how the thing is, it, it, he, he makes you love her uh, throughout throughout. I mean, she's the one person that's really sympathetic in the situation. And then she just goes ballistic. <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, I I've read enough crime fiction. I've read enough Donald Westlake that I should have expected it. And all of a sudden, I'm like. Yep, you got me again. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, that's a lot of the attraction is um, you really do not know where it's going to go, and it it you know if if the purpose of of reading a book is only to uh, pass time, uh, well, guess what? Uh, not knowing where it's going to go helps pass the time a lot better. You keep turning those pages, it works really well. But there, along the way, you also get. Uh, sort of insight into how how to look at other people and how people uh uh you know he he i think he he's if he's a psychologist he's he's got a certain take on it you know on the way people work <laughs> but they do have thoughts and they that guides behavior and that behavior uh yeah humans i i think i mentioned that one earlier right that that novel is astoundingly surprising just you know there's this guy and he's he's a survivor of chernobyl and and the world's gonna end and (laughs) oh my and then all these other characters all working and some of them are angels and and is god really an asshole i think god's an asshole Well, you know, I think Don and I were, to, you know, Don, Don and I both agreed on that. We, you know, around Breaks the dinner table, it. we've had conversations. That angels are assholes, you know. <laughs> much. We just decided that at some point, you know, it's like angels are just are assholes. That's what they do. Um, we were talking because I, when I was in college, I took it upon myself. It wasn't one of my readings. It was just one of these things that I was doing because I had a, a friend of mine <laughs> We're both, we just do this every once in a while. It's like, let's read that. So we decided to read Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh And my father and stepmother were like, why the hell would you do that? (laughs) Why would you inflict that upon yourself willfully? And I said, well, you know, it's a thing. And And my friend Don goes, yeah, but angels are assholes. And so was Milton. I'm like, Uh okay. (laughs) So, you know, he definitely had his take on things. And I think a lot of the writing that he does was to just give him a canvas to say crap, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Here, 
I'm tired of these people. I'm going to create a canvas where I can badmouth the sacred monster or um, uh, what was the one? That, that's the one. You know, I'm trying to think of the one where he went off on the uh, reality TV people. Uh, no, there was get one. Re- not- uh, get real. Get real. Exactly. Get yeah. Real. It was just like, you know, the reason he wrote that book, he told me, it's like, I just couldn't stand, li- you know, I hate those people. I needed to ridicule them in print. What's always interesting to me about him is that uh, certainly there, there, there are messages and opinions in the book, but it's, it's, it's never beat you over the head. No. Uh, it's, 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 it's always implied, subtle. I mean, there's. I mean, I, I, I've read two of his more political books in a row now. The last one I read was uh, uh, "Money for Nothing." I like that one. That's a good book. And 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 and, and there's they they have both you know both that and and the comedy is finished have their points, but you don't feel like if you don't agree with the point, somebody's beating you over the head with a club. It's just sort of in there, you know, snaking its way through, mm-hmm. which is. Which is highly appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he lectures. He's not lecturing. No, you know. never. Yeah, no. He, but, but he is definitely that interior thought. That's the killer. You know, he gives somebody an interior thought that is so revealing about mm-hmm. the shallowness of their nature. It doesn't need to be any more than that. You know, it's it's uh, uh, Mike Whiskiel and the comedy is finished. Mm-hmm. The, the whole point for him is to get back to D.C., and, you know, I think I think that he tells us so much about Whiskell in that one paragraph at the end when he's killing Liz. And and and, and you don't even understand uh, because he, he lets you not understand what the attraction to D.C. is. I'd way rather live in California than D.C. <laughs> DC is lousy, but yeah. but it, I mean, but it's a status thing with him. You know, the FBI guys who work in DC are the big shots, and in the uh, the fifty states, uh, they're just not as big, and that's mm. that's huge to him. Uh, it, despite no real logic behind it, right? I mean, he's a big shot in LA. That could be his own little, you know, he could be a big deal and a big fish in a, in a smaller pond. He could turn that town into his if he, but no, he wants to be, he wants to be, you know, moving up the ladder. And that's a big thing, right? Peter wants to move up the ladder. You know, he wants to win the trust of the, of the rest of the revolutionaries by releasing so many of them and blah, blah, blah. So he gets to get into a particular position and Wiskell wants to get into a particular position and who's what does ginger that, what does ginger want i, I, I he, he you know ginger is a weird character yeah ginger is interesting because he seems to be doing it for kicks or something that that, that was my interpretation he's uh you know it, 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 it it's fun to play with fire yeah and, and and he feels that he's He's invulnererable. He can get away with anything. So, the, yeah, yeah sure. You know, I, I've got millions of dollars. It's a hoot to give these guys $20,000 and loan to my house. And let's see what happens. It'll be fun. And he's also, it's like, I've got something. I, I know something you don't know. Because he's not a uh, front man, right? He's a, a backup or something like that. He's a... Yeah, he's a member of a band. He's not the lead guy. It's not right. his band. Right, right. So, I've got, uh, it's like... Uh, 
<laughs> I think Westlake really has a way of, you know, it's, 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 there are a lot of different kinds of people. And some of them, they just, everybody has to have something, right? And this guy's is, I've got, I haven't got anything. I got to have something. Oh, uh, they, they want to, okay, that's cool. I'll have something then. Right. Oh, it, 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 Paul, maybe you can answer this question because I've, I've actually wondered about it for years. Mm. Uh, did did did, uh, did Don hate rock and roll music? Because he uh, there's never a good depiction of uh, a uh, of a rock and roll musician in his novels. It's always really negative. <laughs> uh, I would say he didn't hate. He was a, a interestingly his musical taste is very eclectic. Um, so you would frequently if if you went past his office while he was writing, you might hear anything from classical to like really way out there atonal jazz. Um, which I think just helped him think. It was almost always instrumental. And I think the thing about rock and roll was that it had words, you know? So he didn't like, because most of his music listening happened while he was working. And then, you know, the rest of his time when he was with his wife or out or eating or whatever it was, his downtime was spent reading without a lot of extra noise in the house. So his music appreciation tended to go with work and he didn't want words he didn't want lyrics interfering with his other thoughts so i wouldn't say he disliked rock and roll i would say but he definitely there are certain types um you know when i he definitely did not respect me as much when my hair was long (laughs) (laughs) damn hippie yeah you know i mean i do think there's a little bit of the damn hippie mentality within him i i think he you know, he like all Americans and human beings of, you know, going through the eras that we went through, there's changes. And, um, you know, he was more draconian about things earlier in life than he was later in life. I mean, he definitely did mellow over time. And some of the uh, but one thing about politics, the thing about Don is that I think all of his political observations were left into it, left in his writing. We didn't have a lot of political discussions at the table. Um, we didn't talk about voting records and things like that too much. We didn't talk about, you know, the, 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 the current issue, the, the flavor of the week or whatever it is all that often. It would come up from time to time. You knew that he was aware of it. He read the paper every day. He incorporated a lot of the current events into his writing, obviously. So he, you knew that he was aware of it, but I think he reserved most of his judgmentalism, to just observations, to just observe what it is, give his take on it, and put it into a subtle line in his writing rather than, you know, having discussions, which I think he he got, you know, I think, honestly, he thought politics, you know, 99% of politics is pointless um, because people do a lot of talking. And I think that that comes through in his novels. Whenever there's anything political going on, there's always a contingent that, would rather talk it to death than actually get anything done. Speaking of talking to death, I I, I think I, I we should get close to the end of this, but I I want to uh, I want to ask you uh, guys, you you both read Jimmy the Kid and uh, um the, I read Jimmy the Kid ages ago. Yeah, so Jimmy the Kid is is a Parker novel inside of a Dortmunder novel, right? Yes. Yes. Which is really fun. Um, <laughs> um, Unfortunately, but, the movie stinks, but whatever. Yeah, oh, the movie's horrifying. Yeah, it's not. It's not even worth let's not go there. But uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's. Uh, any, anybody know what time the the book was written? Because if it was around this time, this is the only other time that I've read uh, 
Parker novel, or sorry, a Westlake novel in which there was a kidnapping uh, so prominently. Uh, and it, that was sort of an an unusual book for both Dortmunder and for and for uh, Parker as well, right? Child. Jimmy the Kid is 1974. Yeah, so it's a it's a, around the same time. Not a, uh, so I guess a little earlier. Well, that's right after Help I Am Being Held Prisoner. Maybe he had something ah, on his mind. You yeah. know? Huh. Maybe maybe there was a lot more kidnapping in the news back then as well. Um, yeah, with Patty Hearst and all, right. all that. Um, interesting. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, hell, but those are the only two that were published in 74, Help Him Being Held Prisoner and Jimmy the Kid. And that's right after he did that book Gangway with Brian Garfield. I haven't read that. Which uh, yeah, I, I haven't read it either, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it because I like Brian Garfield a lot too. Yeah, hmm. he um, he's a he's I he was a friend of the family ages ago, and then I, I he kind of disappeared for a long time. And I don't know what what the story with their relationship was, but uh, he was always spoken of fondly for a long time. Well, Paul, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Levi Stahl. Uh, the the guy at University of Chicago Press who uh, pretty much got the Parker reprint series going mm-hmm. uh, did an interview uh, with Brian Garfield about Donald Westlake and uh, Garfield had a bunch of photos of them playing poker and stuff the really neat and I, I've, I've corresponded with Brian Garfield a few times and like his his admiration for Donald Westlake uh, as a person and his writing is is massive. Yeah, that's fairly common among writers is to, you know, the writers read Westlake. You know, Spider Robinson wrote a, a novel, uh, which is a, a Dortmunder sort of spoof uh, using his own series, uh, Callahan series. And um, he was really happy to see that somebody had reviewed the book and actually noticed it because <laughs> nobody had noticed it in any of the reviews except for me. And I'm like, what? Well, so obvious. Yeah. If you read West, like, you know, I mean, he, he did all sorts of weird things to, to twist the, the first person narration into a third person narration so that it would be more, more like, a uh, a Stark or Westlake, um, uh, situation. Uh, and that was, that was, it was. It's like it seems to be. That's how I found Westlake is through uh, Lawrence Block. Lawrence Block was had had a character uh, Bernie Rodenbar in a li- in his bookstore reading. Uh, I think it was um, the Sour Lemon Score or something like that. And nice. and and it's just like, he's quoting lines from the books. And I'm saying, damn, that sounds like a good book. I wonder where I could get that. And I looked it up. Oh, it's real. Hmm. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's fun. It's it's funny how the 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 science fiction and fantasy thing uh that you mentioned comes up because i when i was a kid that's what i read and i I think early college i uh i stopped liking it nothing against it i just my my taste changed and i started getting onto dashiell hammett and things like that but the, the i discovered uh richard stark and donald westlake when i was at a comic book store Mm-hmm. Because they had a, a, a rare book section, I collect uh, pulp fiction, so I, I I knew that they would have some shadow novels. And the fellow behind the counter started talking to me. He's like, "Oh, you need to check this out. You need to yeah. check this out right now." And 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 I, I bought three Richard Stark books uh, on his recommendation. He's he's a friend of this day, uh, and 
and that was it. And I like I haven't read a science fiction book in forever, almost. Yeah, the the last science fiction book I read was Anarchaos. Um, wow, that's a unless you read it recently. That's no, a, I did read it. I re, I'd read it ages ago, and then I reread it again recently. But I haven't read. You know, I mean, I used to read Piers Anthony, Paul Anderson, you know, um, the Heinlein stuff. You know, I, I haven't touched it in 20 plus years, uh, but I read Anarchaos and I read the Starship Hopeful series. Mm-hmm. I, and I think it's really because it's more about story than it is. You know, when you're a kid, your your tastes are more all over the place and you're and you're more of a magpie. So you're drawn to shiny things like spaceships and stuff like that. But as your as your storytelling and your story reading uh, matures, you want story. And it doesn't really matter where the setting is. I'll give you the the deep, dark, dirty secret about my website. I don't really read science fiction. I read authors. It just happens to be that a lot of the authors that I like are science fiction, and a lot of the authors that I like are not science fiction. Um, But a lot of them cross over every once in a while. And that's the way to read is not to read by genre you know i like vampire books because if you do you're going to read a lot of shit that's for sure (laughs) if you say i like this author he writes damn good books then you're going to pick up those books and say yeah he does write damn good books and and then that it i find that they lead to each other you know um the writers you like read other stuff they've written stuff they're doing homages they're doing uh references those things lead to other things, and that yeah. allows you to have a lot of reading without actually saying, I am just this. The the label, genre, the genre label shouldn't uh, stop you, because I, I got into Jim Thompson because Westlake wrote uh, the screenplay for The Grifters. I said, right. damn, that's a good book, and that's a good movie. Hey, right. <laughs> I wonder uh, what else this guy I, wrote. I, I, you know, the script is great, but I had so much trouble with the casting in that. Really? <laughs> yeah, but well, be, 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 oh, who's who's the older actress? Uh, Angelica Houston. Angelica yeah. Houston. Like I was supposed to find her hot. Uh, I mean, that it's essential that she be older but hot, and I, I, it's like, I'm not seeing it. But the script was great. It absolutely, it, like. I, I'm sure it was uh, the Hollywood people that decided to contemporize it. I, I, con- contemporary, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't uh, think it hurt. I don't think it hurt. It did it. Uh, I, I, not that it much. It would have been a period. You know, I would have, I would have preferred it as a period piece, but the, but the updating didn't bother me. But uh, Angelica Houston, I don't know. She didn't do it for me. See, I find her. Uh, it was John Cusack was the one that I had the hardest trouble. I with had a problem with that too. Uh, because you know, I mean, he didn't, he probably he grew didn't up with seem him. tough enough, like swindler right. enough. Well, you know, that's what Stephen Freer said: is that you know, if I'd seen him in all those teen movies, I might not have cast him. Mm. He actually said that in the on the um, on the DVD, um, but I didn't. And he was, and Freer's was very happy. He thought Cusack was fantastic. In the right. end, he was I very think happy. It's a wonderful with him. film. And I think Cusack actually ultimately did pull it off. I think he did a great job. Just when I first heard he was, ca- I was wait, Cusack, really? Um, but I thought Houston did fine because I don't think that she's, I don't think the audience is that you necessarily supposed to see her as hot as much as she's supposed to still see herself she's a, as hot. And she's also, she's, uh, 
I'm yeah, it's it's a performance, and she does a great performance in that. It's uh, well, don't get me wrong. I I I still thought it was a good movie. There was just a couple of a couple of false notes where I'm like, ah, this isn't working for me. Uh, But it's I mean, it's still better than ninety percent of the movies out there. Oh, and the perform—I mean, just the even the the supporting cast, J.T. Walsh and Pat Hingle, are so good. It's just you know, I th- I think that's a really well crafted movie in general. Um, and Annette Benning, Annette Benning was it was one of my least favorite actresses before I saw this movie. And oh, she she was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was fantastic. And I'll never uh, look at a bag of oranges the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Nor think about it the same way. Yeah, no. It's a, I, I, I thought, I, I thought everything. I thought, particularly Hingle. Every time I think of the bit parts in that movie, I think of Pat Hingle and how sinister he was, and how ebullient and normal and you know regular of a guy he is. Playing that character is just, he, I don't know, because I've worked in film most of my life, too. So I, I've worked around some of these people and I, you know, I see their on camera, off camera personas. And Pat is just he's such a pro. And that, that the scene where he puts the cigar on the back of her hand and the whole it's just he you just don't want to be around that guy. No, definitely <laughs> don't. <laughs> you know? All right. Now I'm, now I'm going to have to go watch it again. <laughs> Uh, I used a, co- a couple clips from it in one of my uh, videos that I put uh, out there. Donald, I don't know if you guys saw it. Uh, Donald Westlake, New York City personified. No, I haven't seen that yet. It's uh, it's just uh, do a do a Google uh, do a YouTube search for Donald Westlake, New York City. It's NYC personified. I just took a uh, one of his quotes, which you guys probably happened upon if you've seen it on YouTube, where he is uh, interviewed by a French magazine talking about what character New York would be if it was cast in a detective mm. novel. Uh, I just thought it was a wonderful quote. So I took it and I laid some video over it and turned it and add some music and blah, 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 and turned it into a little stylized thing. So that's up there. It's on, it's on my web. It's on the Donald Westlake website and it's on YouTube um, called Donald Westlake, New York city personified, but I use that a, at the bottom of the podcast there. What's that? I'll put that at the bottom of the podcast. Oh, so okay, cool. People can... And how on earth did I miss that? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I, 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 six months ago, whatever. So, yeah, Trent, how did you miss that? Yeah, no, I, I'm, 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 I'm clearly not holding up my side here. <laughs> now, your your site, by the way, Trent. I have to say, both of you, obviously, SFF Audio is awesome, um, but the specifically Violent World of Parker has is like the torchbearer for Donald Westlake on the web, much more so than his own website has been for a long time. And I, I just want to acknowledge that, and uh, you know, I let you know how much I and I'm sure most of the rest of his fans appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's terrific. I. I, uh, you know, just trying to find reading order, trying to find what books I'm missing. It was impossible in many cases, and now it's been made really easy. And and you can find editions and all sorts of great information on there. Do check yeah, it out. Yeah, and and, and 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 that's why I, I, I started initially was because uh, I couldn't find the information out. So once I did, I'm like, well, I don't want everyone else to have to go through this. So here you go, and then. Uh, I, I added uh, co-blogger Nick Jones, who's blowing me out of the water with his uh, reviews and analysis and finding of obscurities and all that kind of stuff. 
No, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. It is. I'll try and get him for next time. We almost yeah. got him. Yeah, when he's done moving. But, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, you know, one of the primary missions for me when I took over the website was to clean up the bibliography because it felt to me like it was not, it was incomplete and it was not quite in the proper order. I still don't feel like it's perfect, um, but uh, I think it's a lot better than it was when I took over DonaldWestlake.com. And uh, that, you know, I, 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 I hope to continue and, you know, to really, you know, I, I have to have the, you know, we all have to pay the bills one way or another. And certainly DonaldWestlake.com is not my income source. <laughs> but, um, but you know, as I have the time, you know, I want to continue to build it out and, and continue to tag team with all of you guys and, and, and keep this going. And I, this was fun and I, and, you know, uh, love to keep doing it and do it in the future. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.